Um, so guys, good evening. It's lovely to see you. My name is Peter. Um, and I'd like to start with a confession this evening, which is this. Um, I really struggle to tell people the gospel. <laughs> Thank you. I also really struggle to raise music stands. <laughs> Thank you very much. That is how I planned it earlier. So that's wonderful. Thank you. I really struggle to tell people about Jesus. And the reason is, frankly, that I'm afraid. I'm afraid of what they will think of me. I'm afraid that actually I'll damage the relationships that I have with these people, that they'll think that I'm trying to convert them, that I'm trying to be overbearing. I'm also afraid that they'll ask me questions that I won't know the answer to. But I think as well, the bottom line is this, I'm afraid that actually I won't do a very good job of it. Now, my colleagues know that I'm a Christian, and they'll say to me things like this, so what did you do at the weekend? And I'll say, well, I stood up in front of a group of people and I bored them. And being a teacher, my colleagues then reply to me, well, that's just what you do for your day job, isn't it? <laughs> Harsh, but probably fair. The students that I teach um, somehow found out that Chloe and I used to lead a church a few years back. So occasionally a student will say to me, sir, are you, a, are you like a priest? And I, I like to dine out on that, so I say, well, yes, yes I am. <laughs> and then they say to me, do you wear those funny clothes? Uh, no, no, I don't go that far. So they know that I'm a Christian. And sometimes, you know, sometimes I'll speak to a colleague and they'll, they'll tell me something and I'll say, well, you know what, I'll pray for you. I'll be praying for you in that. Sometimes if I'm feeling really bold, I'll say, can I, can I pray for you, like, now? But actually telling them about Jesus, actually raising the name of Jesus to them and saying, well, what's your response to this guy? I find that so hard. And I wonder if you sitting here this evening have that same sort of struggle as me, that as soon as you kind of hear someone talk about sharing faith, part of you inside just goes, you know, I wonder how you'd feel about talking to the people you work with about Jesus. Talking to maybe your family or your friends. And I wonder if, as you think about that, there's a sense maybe of guilt or even shame. I'm not really good at this. I really struggle with this. Well, here's the thing. If that's how you feel, I can promise you you're not the only person in the room that feels that way because I'm in the room and I feel like that too. I really struggle with this. And actually, let's be frank about it. Sharing our faith is a difficult thing to do because we're in a society where actually to try and express a view on truth is not very trendy. It seems as though we're being intolerant to say, well, we have the truth. And actually, spiritually, this is going to be opposed. Satan's not going to want us sharing our faith and telling people about Jesus. So it's a difficult thing to do. But as we come to this passage this evening, what I'd like us to do is to allow Jesus to take all of that stuff and just put it to one side and for us to look at this passage afresh. So before I go any further, I'm going to pray that that's what he'll come and do for us this evening. So Lord Jesus, we thank you for this story, this parable that you've told. And Lord, you know that it's a challenge to tell people about you. 
And Lord, we pray that as we look at this passage, would you come and please take all of the preconceptions that we've got, all of the struggles that we've had, and enable us by your spirit to encounter you afresh this evening. Amen. So the context of the passage in Luke 14, Stephen very helpfully gave to us. And we find Jesus, as Stephen said, in the house of a Pharisee, one of the religious leaders. And Jesus is really going for it. He starts off in verse 4 by healing somebody on the Sabbath. And the Pharisees really don't like that because they're like, but hang on, you're doing work. What are you doing? So he doesn't get off to perhaps a particularly auspicious start. He's been invited as a guest and he's already offended the people that have invited him. But he doesn't stop there. In verses 7 to 11, he then tells off all the other guests for vying for the best seats at the table. And he says, no, 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 that's not what it's all about. You're not supposed to go and sit in the best seat. Sit in one of the lowlier seats and if you're actually more important, you'll be invited to sit in a better place. So, He's offended the Pharisees. He's offended the people about where they sit. And even the poor host doesn't miss out on Jesus' telling off because Jesus turns to him in verse 13 and goes, you know what, these people you've invited, you shouldn't have invited them because actually the people you should invite are those that can't repay you. The poor, the crippled, the blind, the lame. And so having spoken to these different people, and told them off and spoken about this idea of feasting and having food together there's this rather strange comment in verse 15 from one of the guests who says this he says well blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God and Jesus' response to that is to tell this slightly strange story that you've got a master who decides to throw a great feast. And he sends out the invitations and says, look, it's going to be taking place. Come along. And people respond to him and say, yeah, great. We're interested. And then he sends his servant out and says, right, now's the time. Come along. Come and eat. And these people that have originally said, yeah, you know what? I'm, I'm up for this. They start coming up with these excuses. I've got a bit of business to attend to. I like the fact that this other person's got some oxen they want to try out. Very 21st century. Someone else has just got married. They can't attend. We're lucky they're here tonight. (laughs) And so the servant goes back to the master and says, look, these people, they've bailed. And the master says, right, well, well, go out and find the poor, the crippled, the blind, the lame. Bring them in. They're the ones that are going to share in this feast. And the servant goes out and brings them in. But there's still space at the table. So he goes back to the master and says, well, what do you do now? And the master says, well, go outside the city. Find those people on the the, the roads, the country lanes. Bring them in because this feast needs to be filled. We don't want any empty spaces here. Everyone's welcome. Those that want to come, they're going to come. So it's a kind of a strange story. And there are a couple of things that I think we need to kind of draw out to try and get behind what Jesus is saying. And the first is this. When the guy says, blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God, what is this feast he's talking about? And it's the feast that is spoken of in the Old Testament at the end of time when God will sit down with all of the people that have believed in him 
and will celebrate. And we see an echo of this in the New Testament in Revelation. In chapter 19, verse 9, John writes this. He says, And the angel said to me, Write this. Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. So the feast that is being spoken of by this guest in verse 15 is this one that's going to be happening at the end of time. Something else that we need to get a hang on is this. How does it work when you're inviting somebody to a feast in biblical times? If you want to invite someone over in the 21st century, you pull out your smartphone, you open WhatsApp or whatever app you want to use, you send a message, you say, 7.30, here's the address, see you there, done. And if you're lucky, the person turns up on time. Hopefully, with a bottle of something rather nice. But in biblical times, the way that the feasts went were like this, that the feast would be announced. The invitation was extended. But the thing was this, you didn't actually know the precise time that the feast was going to happen. You had a rough idea. And the only time that you would know it was ready was when the servant came round and said, oh, it's ready, it's now, come on, come and eat. So what Jesus is doing here is to take that and put it into a story and to combine it with this idea of the feast at the end of time. Now, we're going to take a little detour away from the book of Luke because we need to look at where is it that this great feast at the end of time is first spoken about? Where does this big announcement take place? And we find it in the book of Isaiah. And if you've got a Bible with you, turn with me to page 709 in the Bibles, and it's Isaiah 25. We're going to read four verses, uh, verses 6 to 9. And so that's page 709 of the Bibles, if you've got them. Isaiah 25. And verse 6 says this. On this mountain, the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich foods for all peoples, a banquet of aged wine, the best of meats, the finest of wines, On this mountain he will destroy the shroud that enfolds all peoples, the sheet that covers all nations. He will swallow up death forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from all faces. He will remove his people's disgrace from all the earth. The Lord has spoken. And in that day they will say, surely this is our God. We trusted in him and he saved us. This is the Lord. We trusted in him. Let us rejoice and be glad in him and in his salvation. Now in these four verses, they're located in the midst of what commentators refer to as Isaiah's little apocalypse. So verses 24 to 27 of Isaiah, Isaiah is prophesying what's going to happen at the end of time. And situated bang in the middle of these chapters are these verses where Isaiah says, at the end of time, there is going to be this great feast. And all those who have believed in God will gather and will celebrate salvation with him. So, the invitation has been extended. Everyone is invited. There is a but. 
And the but occurs in verses 10 to 12. I'm not going to read it. But in essence, what verses 10 to 12 say are this. Isaiah goes on to talk about Moab. And Moab can trace their line all the way back to the people of Israel. Moab was one of Lot's sons. Now Moab are invited. Moab are included in this invitation. But Isaiah says they're not going to be at this feast. They're not going to be in attendance. And the reason is this, that they have not said yes to God. They've turned away from him. And so what this little passage in Isaiah is saying is this, it's not enough to be invited. If you want to be at the feast, you have to say yes to God. And so as we come back to our passage in Luke, we find our guest in verse 15 saying this, blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. And all of a sudden this sentence perhaps starts to take on a bit more sense of self-satisfaction, self-assurance, pride, arrogance. This person, this guest, perhaps they're a Pharisee, they know about this prophecy. They know about this feast that's going to be happening at the end of time. And what they're saying by this statement is, well, bless the person that's going to be there. That looks like me. I'm going to be at this feast. And Jesus' response is to pull the carpet from under this person's feet. Because what we see in this parable that Jesus tells is that just as the servant goes round and says to the people who have been invited, come along, the feast is ready, come and eat. And the people in the story give their excuses as to why they can't come. What Jesus is saying through this parable to the Pharisees sitting around him is this. You've been invited to the feast But now the servant, the servant of God, Jesus, me, I'm here in front of you. I'm the one. Throughout my ministry, I've been saying the kingdom of God is at hand. It's time. And the Pharisees have rejected Jesus. They don't believe who he is. They, if you like, give their excuses. We don't believe who you are. We don't believe the miracles you're performing. Sorry. And what Jesus wants to say to the Pharisees in the last time that he eats with them before he goes to the cross is this. I want you to accept this invitation that I'm giving to you. I want you to believe in me as Jesus. I want you to come to the feast. And the only way you're going to do that is by saying yes to Jesus, to believe in me as the servant of God. But Jesus isn't finished having pulled the rug from under the guy who seems a little bit self-important and says, actually, are you sure you're going to this feast at the end of time? Just because you're one of God's people, if you've not said yes to me as Jesus, you're not coming. He then goes on and says, but actually what the servant is told to do is to go out and to get into the city and to bring in the poor, the lame, the crippled, the blind. Because this feast is going ahead. And if... Pharisees, you've said no, it doesn't matter. We're going to bring in all of those who actually respond to Jesus. 
And what we find as we look to the gospel messages is this, that actually Jesus goes out to everybody. He speaks to the Pharisees. They say no. He speaks to the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind. They say yes. And what Jesus is saying to the Pharisees sitting in front of him is this. If you're saying no, that's your lookout. But these are the people who are coming to my feast. And that would have been a shock to the Pharisees because the tradition in biblical times was if there were gaps at the feast, you would invite people of the same social status to come. You wouldn't turn to the people that were unclean, the crippled, the lame, the blind. These were people who were excluded from the temple worship because they weren't deemed to be fit and proper. But in this story, Jesus is saying these are the very people who are going to be eating the feast at the end of time. Because they've said yes to the servant. They've said yes to Jesus. And then Jesus pulls his final punch and he says, actually, the servant is then sent outside of the city to those on the country lanes and to the roads to compel those outside to come in. And what Jesus is making an allusion here to is to the Gentiles, those who are outside of the city, those who are deemed to be by the Pharisees outside of the people of God. Jesus is saying, even the Gentiles are going to say yes. And they need to be compelled because the Gentiles haven't heard this prophecy from Isaiah. They've not had this original announcement of the feast. So Jesus will go to them through his disciples and say, come, the feast is taking place. Come in and eat. Come into the kingdom of God. And Jesus finishes up with a brutal line in verse 24. Jesus then turns and addresses the whole room. He says, I tell you, not one of those who are invited will get a taste of my banquet. Not one of you, Pharisees, sitting around here, if you continue to make your excuses, you're not coming to the banquet. You might think you are, because you got the original invite, but the truth is this, unless you say yes to the servant, you're not coming to the feast at the end of time. So Jesus' point through his parable is a bit of a brutal wake-up call to these Pharisees. The invite is there, but you're only coming to the feast if you say yes to Jesus. And here's where it comes back to us, friends. If the only way that people will come to the feast is through saying yes to Jesus, what he is calling you and me to do is to carry on that work, to be the ones who go out and say to people, the feast is ready. The time is now. Come and eat. 2 Corinthians 5, verses 18 to 20 says, says this. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. And so the call for you and for me this evening is this. 
Are we going to continue Jesus' work? Are we going to continue going out and inviting people into the feast? Telling them the time is now, the feast is ready. Will we continue to do that even though we find it hard, even though we find it challenging? The reason to do it is this. The message is urgent. It's time limited. This feast is going ahead no matter what. There is a time set for the feast. And Jesus is saying to us, will you go out? Will you invite the people in? We need to know as well that actually everyone is to be invited in this. It's not those that we think are are worthy of a place. Our invites need to go wide to everybody. And we need to know as well that people are going to make excuses, some of which will seem relevant, some of which won't be. But the excuses are the same as saying no. So, as I close, let's get practical about this. How is it that we're going to do this? I would say, firstly, who is it that we can invite to the banquet? Who are the people, maybe the two or three people that we're closest to, that we have established relationships with, that we can begin to share our faith with, that we can begin to communicate about Jesus with? And when I pray at the end, I'm going to ask for Jesus to put those people on our hearts so that we know who they are. How do we do this well? first thing I think is to ask God for help things are always better when we do it with God rather than by ourselves so I'm going to be asking for God to give us courage boldness as I pray but actually there's something else and I felt this really strongly as I was preparing that actually God wants to say to us tonight that any shame, any guilt that we feel for those opportunities that have passed us by whether we've ignored the opportunities, run away from the opportunities, whatever it might be, God wants to say to us, we're forgiven. We're not to carry that guilt. We're not to carry that shame. Because actually, that is something that will hold us back from sharing the message in the future. So I'm going to pray as well that God will free us from that. And if that's something that resonates with you, a sense of guilt, a sense of shame over being really struggling with sharing your faith, please come and let us pray for you. Because... That, I sense, is something that God really wants to do this evening. So we need to ask God for help. Last thing is this. Let's ask each other for help. Because there are people sitting in this room who are fabulous at showing their faith. And God has put within his church evangelists, people who are really talented at this. Let me encourage you to seek those people out and say, right, how do you do this? What is it that you do? Help me out in this, because that's what the evangelists are there for. So I'm going to close, and I'm going to pray. And I'm going to ask for God to put on our hearts those two or three people that he wants us to reach out to. And I'm going to pray that he will give us the boldness and the courage to do that, and that he will take away from us any guilt or shame that we feel is attached to us from where we've not done so well in the past. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for challenging us this evening about sharing our faith. 
Lord, we know that it's a tough thing to do. And would you put on our hearts now the two or three people that you would like us to share our faith with? Would you be preparing them so that their hearts are ready to hear about you and to respond? Lord, I pray too that you would give us, through your Spirit, courage, boldness, strength to do this. And Lord, would you take away from us the guilt, the shame, where we've not done what we think we should have done in the past. Take that from us, Lord Jesus, now. And Lord, I pray finally for anybody here, anybody here who's not said yes to Jesus yet, that Lord, you would meet with them and encourage them to come to you and to say yes. Lord, we ask these things in your name. Amen.